time to screw the norms. To fit in, we often hide what's on our minds, who we really are, or who we want to be, or even what we want to do. But now you're having the right conversations. Here, we'll talk about sex, relationships, and mental health, and how they interact with each other and so many other aspects of life. Shame can't survive when we're honest and curious with each other and ourselves. It's time for your mind to scream less and for you to screw more. I'm Rachel Wright, a non-monogamous queer psychotherapist and your host. Hello, hello, friends, and welcome back to an episode of The Right Conversations. I'm so thrilled to be here with you today and have you meet someone who is truly inspiring to me and so many other people. Today, we are having a conversation about turning life's challenges into opportunities with McKenna Wrights. McKenna, welcome to The Right Conversations. I am so thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Let let everybody, for those people who don't know you, um, tell us about you and kind of how we're talking about this topic today. Yeah. Um, first off, you know, I love your conversations and the conversations you've created such light in people's lives that we just need to have. So thank you for creating this space for thank so you. many. Um, you know, I have lived the cliche life um, you know, wanting the white picket fence and getting it by 33. And I was pregnant with our second. And I remember saying to myself, now what, you know, I, like mm -hmm. I said, I had hit all my life goals. I was teaching, you know, AP psychology, coaching varsity volleyball, had an incredible husband pregnant with our second. Uh, and I remember, you know, just saying what's next, like now what, like, and I'm a person who loves challenges and, um, I noticed when, after we had our second daughter in May of 2015, I noticed that when I was teaching in August, my shoulders were covered with hair. And I thought mm. it was normal postpartum hair shed that I'd gone through, you know, with the other baby. And, but this time it was excessive and it continued on. And so I went to a dermatologist and the dermatologist said, well, you could have something called alopecia and you could lose all your hair. And as a female, as a human, you know, that's never the words that you want to hear come out of anyone's mouth. And, you know, I just yeah. kind of laughed it off a little bit that that's never going to happen. Um, little did I know that my life would forever change in a couple months. Uh, November 1st, we take family pictures. I noticed my hair substantially thin in the picture. By the end of the week, my I'm sitting in the show with my hands full of hair and in complete disbelief. Within three weeks, my hair was gone and I was diagnosed with alopecia. Uh, so what it is, it's an autoimmune disease that attacks your hair follicles and causes your hair to fall out. And there's three different types. There's areata, which is just bald spots on your head. There's totalis, which is losing all of your hair on your head. And there's universalis, which is losing every single hair in your body. And that's what I have. And, you know, in the dark of the storm, I'm like, oh my, you know, I thought life was over and especially losing every hair in your body. But silver lining, I don't have any hair, which means that my life is that much easier. Um, but it rocked my world. It really did. And because I was always known for my hair, I had really long, thick, beautiful hair since I was five. And I felt as though as 
every strand of hair that fell out, my identity was being ripped away from me because we as women subconsciously identify with our hair. Um, like I've never introduced myself. My name McKenna is McKenna Wrights and I am my hair, but we are making sure that our hair looks nice before we leave. Yeah. We walk out the door. And, um, you know, I, in the end, I'm blessed that it happened for me and not to me. Um, but it took a long time for me to be able to really reframe that mindset. But we have to go through life and life has to, we have to learn that's happening for us and not to us. And it's empowered me beyond measures. Uh, before I used to say I'm just a teacher. And now I say, not only am I a teacher, but I'm a badass. Uh, but it's taken me time to get to that point. So it's been an incredible journey of, oh my gosh, eight years now, which is insane. Wow. But I'm forever blessed because of it. I I have, I mean, so many thoughts and feelings. I remember the first time I heard your story, I was really um, at a loss for words. Um, I think that, you know, so many things happen in our lives. and it's hard to honor this and of grieving whatever it is that we're possibly losing or losing out on depending on on what's going on um and working on that reframe that you're talking about into like how is this happening for me and and how can i take this and and utilize it as an opportunity for growth and new new things and new opportunities and new experiences and, you know, it sounds like it happened so fast. And I'm wondering if you'd be open to speaking to kind of that process of, of holding that and of allowing yourself to grieve mm -hmm. and process the loss of, like you said, something so ingrained in us, especially as, as women. Um, and that's not to say that there aren't, um, you know, men or non-binary folks out there that would have a, a similar experience. Um, holding that grief and then how you were able to kind of also look to the the future and and see the opportunity and not get stuck in in that grief. Yeah, I think it's, you know, re like you talked about, we've all experienced some sort of loss, you know, and it doesn't matter the significance of it. If it's a loss to you, it's a loss to you and we shouldn't judge you know, make, you know, think that you have a molehill when I have a mountain, there's no comparison. We have to understand that, that when we lose something, whether it is physical, emotional, psychological, we have to grieve. Um, and I'm a firm believer that we have to give ourselves a grace period. And that grace period allows us to cry. It allows us to hit rock bottom that we have to, um, because then there's nowhere but uh, um, now my grace period, my grieving period was a very long time. And so since then, when I've experienced other losses, I'm more consciously aware of mm -hmm. allowing myself to have a grace period, but making sure that I'm only giving myself X amount of time to get through that grace period and then say, okay, it's time to change. It's time to reframe that mindset. Uh, I am a firm believer that when we are weak, when we cry, when we are grieving and we recognize it, that is when we are truly at our strongest point. Um, when we can say to our significant others, to you know whoever they may be saying, I need time. 
I need time. I need space right now. I need help. Um, I need to be left alone, <laughs> whatever it may be. Um, and so during that time, you know, I had a three-year-old daughter and a four-month-old daughter at home who are watching my every move. Now, granted, the four-month-old doesn't understand what's going on. Even the three-year-old, you know, doesn't understand what's going on, but I know that she's watching everything that I'm doing yeah. and, and what I'm going through and how I'm physically starting to look different. Um, and I am a person who loves to be in control. And so, and so does my mom. And so we went to multiple. I can't relate at all. Right. <laughs> and that's, that's also the difficult part of the journey is yeah. when you can't be in control. So in the beginning, you know, we went to a dermatologist and the, you know, the first dermatologist said, there's nothing we can do. We're going to send you up to university of Michigan, which is for those that don't know, university of Michigan is a significant medical institution and it's only 30 minutes away from me. Um, so when I, when once insurance covered that and said, you can go, I'm like, oh my gosh, here comes the light. Here comes the hope. They're going to get my hair back. And then I go up there and they had nothing to say, except there's nothing we can do, which completely crushed me again. Yeah. Um, then I went to another dermatologist who happened to be a former student of my mom's and said, we are going to do everything. We're going to exhaust every possibility. And we did. We, you know, I did topical creams. I did uh, medications that compromised my immune system. Then I did weekly steroid injections into my scalp for six months. And it was complete hell. But I was so desperate to get my hair back um, that I went to hell and back to do that. Now, hair sporadically came back. Um, now, it wasn't just injections into my scalp, but it was putting a sensation, putting some sort of solution on my wrist in order to attract, you know, pull it away from my scalp to, it was a long, you know, cause blisters. I mean, everything, but <sighs> I wanted to be in control. And then I couldn't handle it, not only physically, but I couldn't handle it mentally and psychologically. Now there were, there's at this point, there was no FDA approved medication for alopecia. Um, but there were a lot of clinical trials and insurance wouldn't cover anything because they only see it as cosmetic. But what they aren't understanding is the mental yeah. it was taking on me. And, you know, I'm going into depression. I'm gaining weight because of depression and the steroid injections, which is caught making the depression even worse. Uh, but I still showed up every day. I never took a day off of work um, because I found it empowering that I had this opportunity in front of me to show not only my daughters, but my juniors and seniors and my student athletes that life is going to throw us punches, <laughs> some stronger than others some days, but we have to keep going. And I remember saying in front of my students as my hair was literally falling out and saying, I'm going to start to look different. We don't know why I have something called alopecia. And that moment of vulnerability just kind of give, gave me breathing room because people thought I was dying right? because I started to look different. And it was just a way to help other people know and be able to breathe that I'm physically okay, but, you know, we don't know what's going on. Um, and at that time, I refused to also get a wig because I felt that if I got a wig, uh, then I was accepting that my hair wasn't coming back. So I would wear just a head wrap or I'd go to, you know, wear a hat. I wouldn't go to bed without a hat on. 
for a year until the lights were turned off because I was so ashamed and embarrassed of my own reflection. I didn't want my husband to see me. I didn't want my kids to see me with that hat on um, because I was battling me. I wasn't, you know, dealing with anything else. But then I had to stop everything. Nothing was working and it sucked because we want to be in control. And when we're not in control, we're going to do and anything to get in control. Yeah. And then magically I was working out and I saw a quote that said, the problem is not the problem. The problem is your attitude about the problem. And I read it again and I'm thinking, holy crap, this was meant for me because I'm so focused on the problem. I'm so focused on alopecia and how can we fix it when I have to understand that it's something that's as difficult as to say out of my control. But what I have control over is my attitude towards alopecia. And I was allowing alopecia to define me. Um, it was my daughter's first Christmas. I only took one picture. I didn't want to go out with friends because I was so ashamed and embarrassed. You know, I, it just, every little action and behavior and thought in my life was being controlled by alopecia. And that's when it started to switch that mindset that I'm going to define it, that I'm going to make, be the deciding factor of how I'm going to live my life. Now it didn't happen overnight, but that grace period gave me time just to, you know, breathe, to be able to try and process what, what the hell was going on. Um, in hindsight, I'm glad that my hair fell out quickly, that the bandaid was ripped off at the moment. I didn't want it to be, but again, um, it, I started to understand that why I was given this mountain and I'm, it changed my life. If you experience recurrent BV or yeast infections or struggle with vaginal symptoms like odor, discharge, pain with sex, or more, you are not alone. And you should totally test your vaginal microbiome with Evie. Evie has developed the world's first at-home vaginal microbiome test and screens for more than 700 bacteria and fungi with a single swab, including those related to symptoms and infections. Evie also offers free one-on-one -on -one vaginal health coaching and innovative prescription treatment programs developed just for you by a provider. You can order your vaginal health test today at evy.com, that's E-V-V-Y.com, and use code RACHEL10 for $10 off your first test. So how long did it take you to release the control? And like, give us the timeline. Yeah. Because um, I, I think for a lot of people, this, it's, it's not necessarily, I don't want to call it denial. Because it's not fully right, because you're doing all of these active things to like try to cope and manage. And and I think that with some things, that's a really important time period because you don't know what is out there to help, right? Like you were not the world's expert on alopecia. So of course you're gonna go to experts on alopecia to see if there's anything you can do. And then there is a time where that does kind of switch into a form of denial and this lack of acceptance. And so I'm wondering what that time period was like, like it literally from diagnosis to kind of acceptance into living the life that you are now and, and taking photos and, and doing more than taking photos, but, you know, taking photos at Christmas and, and doing what you're doing. You know, I think it's so important to be able to have this, this specific 
conversation because so many people who are, whether they're struggling or not struggling, you know, whether it's hair loss or loss of something else, they look at me like, I wish I could be as strong as you. What they don't understand is what I've been through. And that's why I make sure that I'm very authentic in my conversation of making sure that people understand I've been through hell. We've all been through hell and we're still here fighting, but we need to talk about every chapter and not just where I am at right now. Um, it, I wore wigs for four years. Um, it took me six months to get an actual wig. And now, the funny story is I find when I finally got a wig, um, I got, I, it was on spring break. And so I, every day when I was teaching, I was wearing almost kind of like a survivor buff on my head. <laughs> I didn't want to wear a scarf because then I'm like, okay, that signifies that I have cancer. I just wanted to wear like, ah. sensitive, you know, because uh -huh. it made sense in my head. But, um, then I got a wig and I put it up into a ponytail and I put a headband around cause I didn't know how to wear wigs. And it was a synthetic and it was a really cheap one. But when I put it on and I put the headband on, I looked in the mirror, I'm like, I'm back. I could, I just wanted to blend in. I didn't want to go to the grocery store. I didn't want to be looked at differently. I just wanted to blend in, do my thing and get home. And when I came back to school, everyone's like, oh my gosh, your hair came back. And I'm like, come on guys. Like it didn't, but it gave me that breathing room where, yeah. you know, I just, and that was the thing for four years, I just wanted the breathing room, but I would also go to the grocery store wearing my hat. and so many people, and they still do, obviously, would come up to me and say, are you going through treatment? Can I pray for you? And at first, in the beginning of the journey, it was really difficult to hear that of, you know, people believing that I'm dying, that we innately think the worst of people. And I, you know, it hurt me. I'm like, no, you know, thankfully, yeah. I don't have cancer, but please pray for this. Do what I have something is called alopecia. And then I realized if I can help others, because we innately, unconsciously, implicitly judge instantly within five seconds or less, we think the negative. If I can educate my community to the world on what alopecia is, maybe I can reframe their mindset that instead of looking at me and thinking I'm dying, maybe they'll think, maybe she has alopecia. Mm -hmm. And that... Yeah. Positivity, then will bleed into different interactions, even in their own life. And so I started doing um, team up events. So I teamed up with the Cleveland Indians doing team events during September, which is Alopecia Awareness Month. Uh, that's when I'm like, if, the more I can get my story out there, the more I can educate people and I can empower them to see the good in people than the bad. And it gave me a purpose. It gave me a light during my dark storm. Um, and then I realized the impact it was having on other people, not yeah. just people with alopecia, not just people who have hair loss, because I it helped me to better understand that everyone is battling something. Everyone has a story. Mine is just visible. Everywhere mm. I go, my story is visible and I mm. have opportunity in front of me to be able to empower others. And so to that, you know, I still want it. I still couldn't gather up the courage to go out without a hat on or without my wig on. Um, in June of 2019, so right before COVID, I go to Seattle for the National Alpecia Foundation's conference. 
This was my first time being surrounded by other baldies. Um, I no longer felt like a woolly mammoth. First day I'm wearing a hat and I'm just processing. And my mom came with me and it was just an incredible opportunity. And the next day I'm working out and I looked at myself in the mirror. I said, I'm doing it. I'm going to do it today. There's no better place than here and now where I'm going to actually blend in for once and not be looked at differently. And I walked into the hotel room and I said, mom, I'm doing it. She's like, doing what? I said, I'm going out bald. She's like, are you sure? You know, she went into the motherly instinct of, are you sure? Is this what you want to do? And it was the scariest moment of my life, but I did it. And every day after that got a little bit easier, a little bit easier. I started off the school year bald and I haven't worn a wig in three years um, because it has empowered me. Now I feel like if I go to a store with a hat on, um, I'm hiding and I don't want to hide anymore because I want to walk confidently because I love who I am. I love my reflection. It's amazing that it took almost 40 years losing every hair in my body to finally discover self-love. And I want that, how I carry myself, the confidence that I have to empower others because everyone else gets to walk around with a smile on their face and pretend like everything's okay when it's not. I want to be that empowerment to them that if she can walk around, you know, bald, I can get through whatever I can get through. It's so it, it's been a journey, but <laughs> it's been incredible. That's. So what do you, in this kind of tour that you've been on, inspiring people, what are some of the things that you see folks struggling with the most in terms of the things that life is tossing at them, the really just a reflection of what you expressed you went through, the like wanting to grasp on for control, the wanting to to change things, perhaps it's denial for some people. What are some of the most common themes? Was it just a, a replica of, of your story in many ways? Is there anything else that you saw often? Um, I have, it's a, the amount of people that I've met and the stories I've heard is incredible. People feel so alone. I, you know, when I was teaching my juniors and seniors, I knew exactly how they're feeling because I felt alone when I was in high school. I felt I was the only one having those thoughts or going through whatever it may be. We're so afraid to talk about what we're going through. We're so afraid to talk about anxiety. We're so afraid to talk about depression. We're so afraid of talking about the negatives that because we live in this society where everything's on social media and what we don't understand is it took 20 minutes for the person to find the correct, the right filter and have the guts to post it. But yet we are deciding to compare our entire life to that, to that one image. Right. And what we need to understand is that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to say, Hey, I'm having a crappy day or, Hey, you know, I'm going through this, but I, you know, and not say, but you're, you have it worse than me. I mean, that's, you know, we have to be able to find the silver lines. We have to be able to talk about what we're going through. Um, you know, once I was able to realize, you know, I'm going to give myself this grace period, then you have to find the silver linings in every situation. Sometimes it's a lot, it, a lot more difficult to find the silver linings. But for me, I never have to shave anymore. 
I'm never having a bad hair day. You're never going to know how old I am because I'm never going to have gray hair. I mean, there's beautiful things, but we have to get out of that mindset. And so when I talk with people, and so I don't just talk to people with alopecia. So when I'm on stage, I'm speaking to everyone because what teaching has allowed me to do is learn how to connect, is to be able to connect to every individual that's sitting there to be able to challenge them to think about what they're going through. You know, every every day is going to produce challenges, whether it's long lines at the grocery store or traffic or battling a huge loss. We're all in this together. And that's what, you know, before I had, before I lost my hair, I thought I was an empathetic person. I had, I didn't even understand what it, what it was because now I have this. Really? I can just feel the energy. Like when my students walked into my room, when my, like even yesterday I was at practice and I could just tell that one of my players was just off and I went and said, Hey, let's go talk. And then they just broke down. You know, it's, we just feel like we have to hide, but to be able to feel this energy of others, to be able to feel if they're having a good day, a bad day, a mediocre day, be able to understand if I just need to give them some space or if I need to pull them off to the side, um, you know, we just have to communicate. And that's, you know, what's allowed others to do with me is feel that safe space to be able to talk, to be able to talk about themselves, to talk about what they're going through. Um, because like I said, and we all know that we're, we all have a story. We're yeah. all going through something. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting that while I think so many of us can remember that logically, it's like, it's a different form of denial mm-hmm. of like, no, everyone else doesn't, or they can handle it better than me. Or what you were saying of like, well, there are people starving somewhere. So like, who am I to wallow in my whatever it is? Um, And those things just don't serve us. You know, it's like, yes, it can be helpful to acknowledge kind of the scope of what we're going through, right? Like if I'm, for example, um, you know, I recently had this depressive episode and I'm coming out of it and I'm exhausted every day and like having med med side effects and like, just like little. So comparing what I'm going through now to when I was in the breath, like the throes of the depressive episode, like almost comparing myself to myself to be grateful for where I am, that feels very different than I don't get to complain because I have a roof over my head and food to put in my body. Mm-hmm. And some people don't have that. And I, I'm wondering what your journey was like with that in terms of the co- the comparison piece and like some of the messages that we can get of like, well, some other people have it really worse. Well, it's not cancer, right? Like these messages that like are somehow meant to be inspiring or helpful, but really j- don't serve us. No, they don't. And, um, you know, and I, I don't, I haven't said this out loud to many people, but when I was losing my hair, there's no specific cause for alopecia. And I think that that open-ended answer or question, however you want to phrase it, yeah. the most difficult part of it, just tell me it's this and it'll help me 
process it a little bit quicker, or at least I thought it would. Um, and there was a part of me that just wished it was cancer. Like, just give me something, give it to me so I can figure out how to solve it. And then I felt terrible for thinking that because, you know, my dad has cancer. He's got chronic lymphoma leukemia, which is if you're going to have something, it's the best form to have. He's had it for like 12 years, but you know, I never wish that upon anyone, especially myself, but I just, I needed an answer and there was no answer. And that was, I think the most difficult part for me is I need, could it be stress? Sure. Could it be, you know, hormones? Sure. Could it be having other autoimmune diseases? Sure. It could be genetics. Sure. I mean, there's just, there was no answers that anyone could do. Um, Which is so frustrating all on its own. It's like, well, at least tell me why. Yeah, exactly. And um, I, and this is going to bring up, you know, something that was heavy in the, in the news world about a year ago. But when I was losing my hair also, I either prayed that my hair was back, I'd wake up and my hair was back, or I could have the confidence to shave my head and be like G.I. Jane. Hmm. So if you remember the Oscars a year ago, yeah. the whole fiasco. Now, I just, I would look at other people when I was in my dark storm and just prayed I was as strong as them. But what I don't know is what, I don't know what they're going through. They're just maybe possibly trying to get through the day. They're battling something else, but I'm still comparing myself to others because they're walking confidently as I'm portraying it and I'm just there. So if someone would have called me G.I. Jane, then I would have crumbled because I would have looked at me myself as I'm not that badass. I'm not self. I'm not. I don't have that confidence to do it. And I'm hiding behind this wig. But today, if you would call me, you remind me of, of G.I. Jane, I'll be like, let's go. Like, yes, like this is the journey I've been on to get to this point. But that's the issue is when we look at people, we have no idea where they're at in their journey. No clue. But yet we attempt to judge and try and figure out where they're at when all we have to do is just talk to them. But it's just like what you talked about. The fact that I can look over my past eight years and people say, do you wish you would never wear a wig? I wouldn't change one thing about my journey because I am standing here loving who I am. And it would never happen if I didn't go through every single day, whether it's hell or not. Yeah. I am, I have no regrets and I'm proud because it showed how damn strong I really am that I never believed in myself before. And now I believe in myself more than anything in this world. So, okay, before we, we wrap up, what are some words of wisdom that you can share for anyone who's going through anything to help turn that challenge into an opportunity for themselves? Uh, one, go through that grace period. Uh, but, you know, let's say something happens to me today. I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to give myself until tomorrow morning that when I wake up, it's a brand new day. I'm not going to allow myself to book or it's a week or it's a month or if it's a year, but allow yourself a grace period and maybe be held accountable, write it down or tell someone about it. But you have to give yourself that, that grieving period Two, you have to surround yourself with others, someone who's going to support you, who's just going to sit there and listen. Um, 
but you need to reach out and ask for help. Um, and sometimes you don't even know what that help is and that's yeah. okay. Um, you know, I've had conversations with my husband who doesn't understand anxiety and he's like, what can I do? I said, I have no idea what you can do. I just, I just need help, <laughs> but I don't know what it is. But having that person there is so critical. You have to find your person and you have to find the silver linings. Um, it will be difficult. And once you can find the silver linings of, okay, maybe it happened for this. And then the more you start thinking about it, then you're going to start to reframe the mindset of that's why it happened. And it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take some time, but start looking for those silver linings. And once you do, you're going to realize if this didn't happen, then this wouldn't have happened, then this wouldn't have happened. And that completely changes the, the mindset. I love it. Ugh. You, you're so calming and inspiring. And um, I'm just so grateful to know you. Uh, like you truly light up a room, any room that you're in. Um, and so thank you for bringing that light to to this conversation. And I'm sure the people will be able to feel it even through just the audio. <laughs> I appreciate you and your vulnerability and your authenticity has helped out so many that you don't even know. So thank you again for being such a light. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I will list where people can find you in our show notes, but for anybody who is unable to access the show notes or they're just more audio folks, uh, where can people find you and connect? Uh, Instagram at McKenna Rights or McKennaWrites.com. And I'd love to support them in any way. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. That's all for today, you sexy folks. What questions came to mind as you were listening? Continue the conversation with me over on Instagram at the right underscore Rachel. And don't forget, please leave a rating and a review so that we can continue erasing shame and stigma together.